0: Good evening, fellow lover of the strange and unusual. I'm Jessica Hobbs, author of the story you are about to enjoy. This tale is part of my collection of short stories titled The Witch and Other Tales of the American Gothic, an assemblage of strange occurrences across the complicated patchwork of 19th century America, now finally available in paperback. If you have found your way here, you, like me, might frequently find yourself pondering the what-ifs that fuel our deepest fears. What if there really is a monster in the forest? What if our very worst enemy lives in the mirror? What if the worst aspects of ourselves lead us to our painful demise? Today's episode is a tale of bitterness, greed, and the deep, dark recesses of the earth, and indeed, of our very own minds, that threaten to swallow us whole. Join us in the depths of the Colorado Mountains for the tale of The Miner. The Miner Bakers Park, Colorado, 1868 By the time the whistle blew, Al had nearly forgotten he was working. He had been trapped in his own thoughts for hours, mindlessly swinging the pickaxe into the hard rocks inside the Colorado mountains. It was fall, and the skies would already be dark once he ascended to the surface in that sweaty, disgusting metal lift with all the other sweaty, disgusting men. They would stumble to the saloon and drink their body weight in beer, like they did every night and Al would feel refreshed for a minute or two before the ache set in all over his body. He scoffed at the place even daring to call itself a saloon. It wasn't like there were any girls to look at. Its one and only purpose was this damn mine. The dark hole in the earth where men like him would sweat and toil their lives away in hopes that the bosses would give them a slim piece of the riches they found inside it. The beer was salty tonight, and the so-called saloon was dead save for Al and the rest of the crew. The younger guys palled around and made crude jokes until it was time to go home to their wives, if they were lucky enough to have found a wife. The older ones, like Al, kept to themselves and drank until they got bored enough to stumble home in the cold autumn air, pass out on a cot, and do it all again tomorrow. He walked by a group of ladies on the corner, wearing their fanciest dresses. Of course, that wasn't saying much. They were mostly widows, all old enough that their kids had grown up and moved away, leaving their mothers to turn tricks or starve. One of them had to be in her 70s by now. Al had succumbed to the temptation once or twice in his younger days, but now he just saw their company as a waste of his hard-earned money. Some nights he'd give them a polite nod on his way home, but tonight he kept his head down and walked right by. Evening, Al. Mabel was trying to get his attention. He'd taken a shine to her a while back. She had followed the rush just like the rest of them and made a pretty penny on the excited young miners, but a tragic accident had crushed one of her hips and it had never quite healed right, so leaving to go somewhere else was out of the question. She was stuck here and trying to make any kind of living she could, just like he was. Al had never married or had a family. What was the point? Damn little brats just grew up and left you hanging just like those poor widows. He had flocked to Colorado years ago with hundreds of men from all over the range looking for riches but found that the only assholes getting rich in this operation were the bosses at the top. They lived up on the hill in their nice houses, paid for proper schooling for their kids, and left the rest of the town to wither away as they struggled to get deeper and deeper into the mountains, searching for deposits in the hills that had long since run empty. Al had managed to save a penny or two with no mouths to feed, but it was never enough to go on a search for a proper life. And now, pushing fifty and with damn near nothing to offer— Al had learned how to keep to his business and live alone in the quiet. His cabin was small and had nearly nothing inside it. A cot, a wood stove, a few dirty pots and pans, and an empty, rusted flask he never got around to refilling. The whiskey in this town was terrible. Here he was in this dump, remembering how he'd thought he'd had nothing as a kid. He scoffed at his younger, more arrogant self. Pa had built them a home. It wasn't much— Just a house out in the middle of nowhere on the plains, where the cold wind slapped him across the face and stung him in the eyes. But it was a home, all right. It had bedrooms, a proper fireplace, a dining table, and everything. And Pa had done that as nothing but a simple rancher. Al and his three younger sisters may have been bored out of their minds, but there was always wood for the fire and food on the table. He used to wonder what life would have been like had Ma lived longer. Al must have been about eight years old when the youngest killed her. Every month, Ma's belly got a little bigger, and her face got a little paler. The smell of meat made her sick, and she grew too tired to tend to the kids. Then when that little monster finally decided to come out, she brought all of Ma's blood with her. The blood. Al had never seen so much blood, not before or since. And here was this little alien creature, who'd killed their mother and now demanded all the attention in the house. As the oldest, it fell to him to look after the little ones, all three of them, and keep helping Pa on the property every day, too. This went on for years until the oldest girl, Maddie, finally got big enough to handle the house and the younger kids. Maybe that was why he'd never tried too hard to find a wife. Children were loud and obnoxious. They spilled milk from the cows and dropped all the eggs before they even got them out of the coop. They screamed all night and followed him around all day, asking stupid questions. How does the corn come out of the ground? Why don't the chickens fly away when we're not looking? Why do I have to take a bath? And worst of all, when is Mama coming back? He wasn't cut out for it, plain and simple. When the mines started opening all over the West, he jumped on the opportunity to finally leave home and make a fortune. It would be far more than Pa ever had as a rancher, that was for damn sure. But he hadn't planned on the war cutting into his prospects. He'd been mining for a few years already, when the fighting broke out and lots of younger men went off to battle, leaving older men like Al to shoulder the burden of the extra work. He worked all day, every day, barely pausing to eat, until his back finally gave out. He was out of work for months and spent too much of his hard-earned money on that awful whiskey, the only thing that dulled the pain, and the company of the ladies on the corner, the only thing that dulled the aching sense of sadness. Then... Just as he was ready to get back to it, mining camps all over the territory found themselves in a bit of a pickle. They dug up just about all the gold they could, and less and less of it was coming out every day, which meant less and less of the profits went into Al's pocket. All the while, years' worth of stories from the gold rush all the way out in California swirled around his head. It was still going strong out there. It had to be, given the sheer size of the properties. It would take years, decades even, to clear all the gold out of those hills. California. Now that was an idea. He was getting fed up with the Colorado winters. The cold had started to create a different kind of pain deep in his bones. He felt it every time the wind howled and every time another icicle formed outside his window. He was done with the ice and snow, and now every time the cold wind blew, he thought of sunshine and gold. He had some money saved up, But at this rate, it'd take many more years to be enough. The trek would take weeks. He'd be going through rocky mountain passes, deadly in the winter, and long stretches of desert, deadly in the summer. He'd need to do it right, with a proper horse and wagon and plenty of food, water, and blankets. It'd be a tough journey, but once he made it there, it'd be worth it. He pictured huge valleys bathed in yellow sunshine, flowers blooming in all directions and even the sparkling ocean. California was paradise, and once he'd made his fortune in gold, he could retire by the sea. Unless, of course, he died here in this sad little cabin before he could even start the journey. stood in a narrow tunnel, with the dim glow of the gas lamps behind him barely lighting the way, and swung the pickaxe into the wall. He thought of those rich assholes on the hill, counting their cut of the gold he himself was digging out of the rocks in the sweltering heat, or the freezing cold. He swung the axe harder, thinking of those men who'd made it to California, panning for gold in sparkling rivers in the sunshine. He clenched his jaw and thought of those younger men who'd marched off to a war that meant nothing to them. It wasn't like the Western Territories had any intention of breaking from the Union, no matter what happened in the South. He grunted as he swung the axe into the rock, harder and harder, his face turning red and his hands chafing against the wooden handle. Finally, he beat the wall as hard as he could and startled himself when the axe broke through. There was some kind of hollow space behind the rock. He kept at it, pieces of rock cascading down to the ground, Dirt flying everywhere, hurting his eyes and making him cough. He kept going until there was a hole large enough to see through, then lifted a small lantern and peered behind the rock wall. There was some kind of empty space, all right. It looked like a hollow section of a dead tree, where small woodland animals would hide nuts and twigs for the upcoming winter. He squinted in the soft light, and as his eyes slowly adjusted, he could swear he saw something glisten. He set the lantern down and kept at it with the axe, making the hole just wide enough for his head and shoulders. He peered in again, this time leaning into the opening for a better view. The space was hardly bigger than he was, but it was packed with treasure. Huge chunks of lead sat there, glistening with streaks of silver, as if they'd been waiting for him. He rubbed his eyes, convinced the soft light of the lantern was playing tricks on him. But the more he stared, the more they sparkled. The whistle blew, jolting Al out of his stupor so hard he banged the back of his head on the rock before squeezing back out of the hole. He looked at his fellow men, all wiping sweat from their foreheads and yanking off gloves, letting their skin breathe as much as it could under the rough calluses. None seemed to notice Al or the nook where he was standing. He dimmed the light and let the other men exit to the shaft before him, careful not to call any attention to his discovery. It would take hours and lots of extra hands to break down more of the wall and haul the pieces of lead out of the mine. So there was no point in alerting any of them now that they were all headed to the bar or home for the night. Still, felt wrong to leave it there, partially exposed. He felt like it needed protection, which Al knew to be a ridiculous notion. Who would it need protecting from all the way down here in the deep recesses of the earth? The bats? That was just crazy. No. He could set the axe down for the night and come back to them tomorrow. For now... He needed a drink. The usual crew congregated at the saloon the old-timers like Al and any young man who wasn't in the doghouse with his wife, or worse, newly married and still in love with her. Al drank his beer and allowed himself to enjoy the cold liquid running down his dry throat. It was already dark outside, and Al felt a chill run through his body. Could he take it for another winter? Every night he emerged from the mine covered in sweat, which meant his wet clothes nearly froze as soon as he stepped out into the frigid mountain air. Al ordered another beer then another. The rest of the men headed home for the night, but Al continued to sit there, sipping and staring out the window, first at the fancy homes on the hill, then at the mine. That damn mine. That dark, dank hole in the ground. It wasn't an opening into the mountain so much as it was a gateway to hell. The heat, the darkness, the aches all over his body made him feel like that old myth of Sisyphus pushing that boulder up a hill, over and over again for all eternity. Such had become Al's fate, swinging that pickaxe for years and years and years, only to find more work to be done. He stumbled out of the bar after he'd found himself the only man still on the premises and facing down an ugly stare from the barkeep, obviously ready to go home for the night. Al was less than eager to do so. Despite the long day's work and the drinks inside him, Al didn't feel the least bit tired. And there it was, The opening of the mine. It usually repelled him, but now it seemed to call out to him, asking him to come back. Going home to his cabin would just result in Al staring at the ceiling until sleep finally came for him, but the mine offered him something he hadn't felt in over a decade. Hope. His future was in that mine, tucked away in the hollow nook full of riches. He could go back for it, and none of the crew would be the wiser— He could hide the silver in his cabin until he procured a horse and wagon and get on the trail before the winter set in. He'd be long gone before any of the bosses on the hill even noticed. He approached the mine shaft alone and in near-total darkness. A lantern hung on the door to the lift, as if it had been placed there just for him. As he reached for it, something fell out of his pocket and landed on the ground with a soft thud. He thought better of turning on the lantern. Even though most of the town was home and in bed— There was always a chance someone could notice the light shimmering in the distance. He padded around in the dirt until he retrieved the fallen object his tin flask. Al hadn't remembered bringing it with him today. He opened it and was instantly hit with the strong smell of whiskey, which struck him as odd since he certainly didn't remember refilling it at the bar either. But it didn't matter. He tucked the flask back into his pocket and stepped into the lift directing it to lower him into the shaft with a loud, metallic grinding sound of the gears. It landed at the bottom with a heavy jolt, and Al finally lit the lantern. The light was weak. It hadn't occurred to him just how little a single lantern could do in the total darkness of the mine shaft. There were usually dozens of them around while the men worked. Soft squeaking noises echoed through the chambers. The bats were all awake now and going about their business in the absence of the daytime light and noise. Al squinted and fumbled around to find a wheelbarrow, then made his way back to the nook. There it was, the hole in the wall and the pickaxe just sitting there, waiting to be used. For some reason, he felt the need to lean in again and check to make sure the treasure was still there. An absurd thought, since no one else knew of it, and the bats were hardly a cause of concern, but he checked nonetheless. There it sat, barely glistening in the dim light of the lantern. He swung the axe as hard as he could, creating a larger opening in the wall, barely large enough for him to squeeze through. It would be tough to lift these huge chunks of lead into the wheelbarrow, but he was going to have to try. He kneeled down and traced the streaks of silver with his fingers. They were beautiful, like tiny little rivers in the ugly gray block of lead. They would be heavy. A troubling thought occurred to him for the very first time. How, in God's name, did he even expect to get the silver out of the lead in the first place? All he'd ever done was dig chunks of gold out of the wall and toss them in the bin, where they'd eventually be sent to a whole other job site to be broken down and pressed into bars. Al had never done that before. How was he supposed to buy a horse and wagon with a giant block of lead? His heart sank at the realization. This was stupid. He shouldn't have come here for such a pointless mission— What the hell was he thinking coming down here alone? He'd be lucky to get out without being bitten by a bat, or worse, trip over something in the dark and break a bone with no help anywhere nearby. He sat next to the treasure and rubbed his temples, cursing himself for his own idiocy. He needed a drink. Luckily, there happened to be a flask full of whiskey in his pocket. The whiskey tasted good, much better than Al had remembered. It was so good he almost forgot why he had bothered to stop drinking it in the first place. He looked at the silver rivers and the lead blocks and chuckled. He had no idea how he was going to properly extricate it, but he was going to try. He could bring them all back to his cabin and chip away at it, little by little, even if it took him months to figure it out. He could request to move to the pressing facility and sneak in his own supply to press into silver bars, or even better— He could move on to the next mining town to do so, where no one would suspect he'd taken it from a different mine. It might take a while to sort out, but Al had been doing this for years now, and it was worth a few more months to do it right. He put the flask away and swung the axe into the wall. It didn't take long. Ten or twelve swings of the pickaxe sent huge chunks of lead cascading into a pile at his feet as if he'd broken a dam. Gathering up all his strength, he lifted the first block with every muscle in his body, then quickly turned back to the hole in the wall to check it into the wheelbarrow. But as Al spun around, he nearly jumped backward when he saw it. The wall was perfectly intact. The hole he had created was gone. He dropped the block of lead, missing his foot by barely an inch. Every wall of the hollow nook was rock solid. But it couldn't be. He had just dug his way in here. Had parts of the ceiling collapsed and covered the hole while he wasn't looking? That must have been it. It was the only possible explanation. The good news was that the rocks would be easy to push through again if they had just loosened and fallen into place. He swung hard with the pickaxe, expecting a pile of rocks to tumble to the ground with the slightest provocation, but it barely scraped the completely solid wall. Al took another drink from the flask and resolved to get to work. He beat down the wall with all the force he could muster, just as he had the first time. Took about an hour, or roughly that, as it was impossible to accurately track time down here in the darkness, but he had made it through. He stepped through the opening in search of the wheelbarrow. The wheelbarrow was nowhere to be found. He lifted the lantern to further inspect the tunnel in the mine that had led to this mysterious spot. Only it wasn't a tunnel at all. It was another small, hollow space, just like the one from which he had just emerged. He must have broken down the wrong wall. That had to be it. He hadn't really inspected all four walls surrounding him before he had started with the axe. The wall he had come through in the first place had to be nothing but loose rocks from the ceiling. This was just the wrong one. He just needed to get back to the treasure and try again. But as Al turned around to go back, the wall behind him was solid again. What the hell was going on? The darkness had to be playing tricks on him. One of these walls had an opening to where he had just been— It was just too damn dark to know for sure. To make matters worse, the lamplight was growing dim. It hadn't occurred to Al to check the level of lamp oil before coming down here. That was a stupid mistake. Shit. He rubbed his eyes and took another shot of whiskey, then pressed his hands up against the rock wall. Solid. He moved around to each wall that surrounded him. Solid. 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 There was nothing to do but dig his way out again, though this time it would be harder. The space he found himself in now was even smaller than the nook that contained the treasure. There was barely enough space behind him to properly swing the axe for the desired impact on the wall. Still, he made do, swinging the axe over and over again until he could break through. He squeezed through the new opening and gasped when the dull light shone onto the ground, revealing a skeleton slumped against a wall. The poor bastard, whoever he was, had been a miner, that was for sure. He wore a linen shirt and suspenders with a miner's hat, just like Al's. Upon closer inspection, Al saw a tiny tin flask in the skeleton's hand. It looked just like his own, with a ring of rust around the top and a dent in the side. It looked exactly like his own, in fact. Had he dropped the flask when he stumbled in here? No, there it was, still in his pocket. As long as he had the flask in his hand, he figured, he might as well take another drink. His head began to throb. The silver was nowhere to be found, but Al felt confident that it had been tucked away enough to avoid discovery in the morning. For now, he needed rest. The silver and his plans for the move to California could wait. It had been a stupid idea to come down here alone in the middle of the night. Now he was lost and growing confused, hungry, and tired— and suddenly that lumpy cot next to the wood stove in his cabin didn't seem so terrible. One more drink, then he would work his way back the way he came, through each hole in the wall until he reached the lift. For once, he longed to feel the cold mountain air on his face as he ascended back to civilization. But again, Al turned to find all four walls of the enclosure to be solidly intact. Panic began to set in. This wasn't a matter of getting lost, and there was no way debris from the ceiling could have fallen and closed every opening he had created. His mind returned to those infernal Sunday school classes Pa had made him sit through as a child and their vivid descriptions of hell, the fiery pit below the surface of the earth that hungered for the tortured souls of badly behaved boys and girls. He thought of Sisyphus and that damned boulder. He thought of Mabel and some of the other whores he had paid to keep him company while he was injured and suddenly believed in the concept of sin for the first time in his life. Had he died in the mine that day? Was he being punished? Nonsense. Al was very much alive and the throbbing pain in his head proved it. But he wouldn't be for much longer if he didn't find his way out. He'd end up like this poor bastard on the ground. If there was a way into this mess, there was sure to be a way out of it too. Al pressed his ear up against a rock wall. If these walls were sealing up behind him, however that could be the case, the rock couldn't be that thick. And so far he had found more and more openings to crawl into, which meant he was finding enough hollow space below the mountain to create a whole new tunnel. All he had to do was connect these little rooms to one another. That was it. Just a puzzle to be solved. He stepped back and started breaking it down yet again. He felt a sense of elation, mixed with a curious feeling of deja vu, when the axe broke through. The rock crumbled easier this time. In fact, Al nearly lost control of the axe and let it fly through the hole in the wall. He kept at it until he could fit through the opening and peer inside. But this time, there was nothing to see. He leaned through the hole as far as he could, lantern out in front of him, and saw nothing but darkness. That couldn't be. He was on solid ground. It couldn't just disappear on the other side of a wall. He wriggled backwards picked up the largest rock he could find, and chucked it through the opening, waiting for a thud on the dirt below. It never came. He found another and dropped it on the ground, barely missing his own foot and the leg of the skeleton nearby. Thud. It wasn't his hearing that was the problem. On the other side of this wall was a black hole, an empty space to nowhere. A draft crept in and slithered around his bare neck and his sweat-drenched shirt. His blood suddenly ran cold. He drank more whiskey just to feel the warmth land in his gut. Somehow, the flask hadn't run out just yet. He couldn't tell if the bitter liquid was helping his pounding headache or making it worse. The black hole just sat there, staring at him. He couldn't explain it, and the thought of an emptiness so vast and cold lying in the middle of the earth scared the daylights out of him. He knew that wherever that opening might take him, he needed to go in the opposite direction. Al picked up the axe and swung it again. His hands were so raw and chapped they began to bleed. Suddenly the axe felt heavier than the biggest bull Al had ever handled back on the ranch. It felt heavier than those huge blocks of lead he had waiting for him back in the first chamber. It felt as though all those years of hard labor had crashed onto his shoulders all at once. He kept swinging, His arms aching so bad, tears began to flow from his eyes, stinging like hell as dust and dirt flew into them. As soon as the opening was large enough, he threw the axe in ahead of him and began to push his way through. Shit. The hole wasn't quite big enough after all. He found himself stuck at the shoulders and writhing as hard as he could. The jagged edges of the wall tore up his shirt and the skin underneath it. His arms bled as he slowly inched forward into the space ahead of him. Finally, his shoulders were free, and the rest of his body tumbled to the ground after them. The wall had scraped his body and punched him in the gut. He was exhausted and in pain, but he was on solid ground. He had managed to escape the black hole, and tried to take solace in that fact. His lungs heaved and the air inside them felt like daggers. The tears came again. All of it started to gush from his eyes, the exhaustion, the confusion, the pain, and the fear. Part of him wanted to be disgusted with himself. He was a blubbering, drunken mess stuck in this mine that had trapped him for years. But most of him didn't have the strength to care anymore. Here he was, scraped and covered in every fluid his body could produce, a man lost in the depths of the earth. His sense of hope slipped away by the second. It felt like hours before Al could open his swollen eyes. Maybe it was. It was pitch black all around him, and he realized the lantern was gone. The axe he had thrown into the hole ahead of him, but the lantern he had not. Now the hole, like the many before it, had closed, and the light was gone. He began to sob again, but it was weaker now, the cries not of panic, but of a devastating defeat. His arms fell to his side, and he jumped when his hand landed in a pool of warm liquid. Water? It couldn't be. It was thicker than water. He lifted up his hand to his nose, but couldn't smell anything other than dirt mixed with his own sweat. He gently licked at it, attempting to find a taste. It had a slight metallic sense to it. It was... blood? That didn't make any sense, unless it was his own. Was he bleeding so bad it was dripping and forming pools on the ground? If he was bleeding that bad, he'd need a doctor quick, or he wouldn't have much time left. But the alternative might have been even worse. If it wasn't his blood, it must have been someone else's. His throat felt drier than dust, but he managed to croak out a single word. Hello? No answer, but there was a slight echo against the rocks which made him shiver. Who's there? Still nothing. If this was someone else's blood, that someone was surely dead. Warmth crept up along his legs. For a minute, Al thought he had hit the point of exhaustion where he no longer had control of his bladder and had pissed himself. But no. The sensation was outside and slowly seeping into his pants, not the other way around. It was more of the metallic substance. It was more blood. It seemed to be spreading, so much so that he couldn't even feel a dry patch of dirt on the ground. It had to be coming from somewhere. There was either a body in this room with him, or it was leaking in through the walls. With no light, there was only one way to find out. On his hands and knees, he crawled around the perimeter of the hollow chamber. Nothing so far but a firm wall pressed against his side and the pools of blood splashing underneath his hands. He felt around on the walls, hoping to find cracks where a leak could be coming from. He imagined the bloody handprints he must have been leaving on the rock. Someone would find this tunnel one day, and who knows what they would think, that some kind of ritual had taken place here, something depraved, something violent, or that this had been the site of some other unspeakable crime. As he searched, his breath became deeper, and soon, faint sobs began to fill the air. It took a few minutes for Al to realize the sobs didn't belong to him. They were shrill and made the pounding in his head much, much worse. Where was it coming from? He covered his ears with both hands and paced around the space, stepping in puddles and bumping into walls in the darkness. Stop! He shouted, nothing in particular. The cries seemed to be growing louder. It was shrill and unrelenting, like a child crying for its mother's attention. Al banged his fists against the walls and continued searching for any opening that could be the source of the blood or the noise. Finally, his arm stretched high above him and he felt something, A tiny crack where the wall met the ceiling. He scratched at it with his bare hands and tiny pieces of rock fell down, mostly landing on his face and hair. The axe. Where the hell was the axe? It didn't even matter anymore. Al was so desperate he couldn't find a spare second to look around again in the dark. He kept digging and scratching until his fingernails began to fall off. The crying grew louder. Stop! Stop it, enough! but the cries continued. He used all his strength to pull himself up and through the hole, tumbling through it and crashing onto his back on the other side. For a brief moment, he felt his entire body go into shock, but seconds later, the pain shot all the way up his spine and into his neck. This was bad. He'd broken something on the fall, and his entire body froze. He couldn't move his legs. He could hardly breathe. But the cries had stopped it was quiet. Al managed to scoot himself to an upright position and lean back against the wall. He reached for the flask again, which somehow, though he couldn't possibly explain it, was still nearly half full. The whiskey burned his dry throat, but seemed to soothe it at the same time. His eyelids felt heavy. So heavy. Suddenly his eyes hurt more than any of the cuts, fractured bones, or aching muscles in the rest of his body. He drank more and more until he finally reached the bottom of the flask. How had there been so much whiskey in that tiny thing? It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. It was dark and it was quiet. And Al needed to rest. It wasn't unusual for men to abandon a mine without a moment's notice. It was hard work, and many miners did it until the day their bodies just couldn't take it anymore. Men would wander away in search of a simpler life on a farm, or even head into the cities to seek an easier form of employment. It was awfully lucky for Mabel that she had stumbled into Al's empty cabin before anyone else. Every now and then, she would work her way through the miners' quarters, and nearly every night someone would take her up on her offer— even if they'd declined her hours before. Al hadn't done so in several years now, so she usually didn't bother anymore. But something told her to drop by, and when Al wasn't home and hadn't made an appearance at the saloon all day, something also told her he wasn't coming back. She was the one who found his money tucked behind the wood stove in a leather pouch. If Al came back, she figured she'd return it. But if not, it would finally be time to hang up her garters for good. It was a few years before the men down in the mine shaft were ready to lay tracks in a new tunnel. The gold had dried up, but the continued pressure to find something of value in the hills meant the camp had to expand into new territory. It took days to properly break the rock down without threatening the foundation of the mine itself, but once they had done it and the hollow space opened before them, each and every man on the crew stood there in disbelief, rubbing their eyes and turning up the lamplight to make sure they weren't hallucinating. Before them sat a skeleton, dressed in mining clothes just like theirs, with a tin flask at its side. How the poor man had found his way into the space was a confounding mystery, but it wasn't the only discovery to be made. Beside the dead man sat several huge blocks of lead, streaked with genuine silver. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for today's episode of The Witch and Other Tales of the American Gothic. Special thanks to our amazing voice actors Ian M. Walker and Shannon Spangler, to our friends Brian Taylor, Joe Carrillo, and Dara Stone for their support, and of course to my favorite composer-slash-audio-engineer-slash-human, Robinson Hobbs. For more stories from The Witch and Other Tales of the American Gothic, subscribe to our podcast or check out the book at jessicahobbswrites.com. Join us next time as we explore the exciting changes in the world of psychiatry in the 1880s where a Chicago doctor stumbles upon the most mysterious and terrifying case of his career in the story of the psychiatrist. See you there.